0: Good morning, Grace fam. Oh, what a beautiful group of people, and I'm not just saying that. I'm telling you, beautiful to be here. It's a joy to be able to worship together and uh, just be in the presence of an Almighty God. And he continues to do great things for us. Well, we're starting a new series today. And this one is called Hashtag Grace Detroit. This is us. Now, this may sound a little bit selfish, but it's really not. This is a series that's going to call us back to some central values that are core to who we are. As a church. And when I say that, that's what is God doing uniquely here at Grace? What is he doing here? And so Pastor Doug is going to be leading us through some things that are core to our identity corporately, but we wouldn't be here corporately if God didn't intend for it to impact us as individuals. And so this is going to be a good series. And some of you may be thinking, hey, I know all of this already. I've heard all of this. Well, it's a good time to be reminded and to remember. For those of you who've been attending maybe for a couple of weeks, you feel like you're new around here, this will be good for you because then you can get in on part of the story of like, oh, maybe that's why I'm drawn to this place. And so today I'll be kicking it off here, talking about um, a part of our identity as a church is Our mission statement. Do you all know it? All right, on the count of three. Uno, dos, tres. We are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. All right, we'll do it one more time. Uno, dos, tres. We are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. Now, when you think about a mosaic, a piece of artwork, it is a broken pieces of glasses that are kind of um, cemented together to form a beautiful image. Now we recognize as humanity, because of the fall, because of sin, we do realize that we are broken. We were created to reflect God's image and his likeness. And by his grace, through what Christ has accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection, he has made us alive. And by the Holy spirit, spirit, he has taken these broken people and have united him by his spirit to form this beautiful reflection of himself. And so when we talk about being a mosaic, you can look around the room and you can see that we are very different. Now, and I'm not just talking about the color of our shirts either. But we come from various backgrounds, Uh, We are various ages, we come from different economic brackets, and in Christ, we are all a part of God's family. And so, well, where I will begin this morning is in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we see a vision kind of of the end, and I want to begin with the end. And so when we begin with the big picture in mind, then we can back up and work our way toward what God has already done and doing in Christ. So, in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, John, who has a vision, Revelation is the unveiling. Some of you know it as the apocalypse, but it's this unveiling where the covers, if you will, are removed where he's allowed to see some things in another realm or another dimension. And he writes this, he says, after after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. What a powerful picture there. So when we gather like that here, what we're doing is we're tuning in to worship already in progress around the throne. And so our worship is uniting with that heavenly worship, but what we see in this passage is that we see that there are people around the throne from all nations, tribes, and people who speak all kinds of languages. What we see here is that God values differences. He likes things that are different. He didn't create us all to be the same. And so God celebrates differences So as a part of his kingdom, we too, we celebrate and affirm our differences. Our differences, yeah, they may make us a little weird to somebody else, but they're unique and they're valuable. And what the enemy will try to do is make our differences repel one another. But our differences when we're in the kingdom should draw us to one another. Because we all are a part of God's family. So there it is. In the end, that's how we're going to be. So why not practice a little bit while we're down here, right? We might as well. We pray, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So a lot of times we're trying to get out of here and get into heaven and God is trying to cram earth with heaven. And so we want to be a part of that of saying, let heaven come. Let heaven have its way here on earth. Now, um, a bulk of the passage that I'll be reading will be in the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to Acts the second chapter. If you don't, you can just look at the screens, it's there for you, and um, we'll read here. But this is a very important passage And uh, all of the passages are important. I don't want to make one passage sound like it's not, but it's important for today. Uh, And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But beginning here at the first verse, this is the second chapter of Acts and just a little bit of history. Jesus has, this is after his resurrection and even before his crucifixion, he told uh, the disciples, he told his crew, he said, listen, fellas, I'm going to be going away And, you know, Jesus, he's been with these guys for three years. He's telling them he's about to jet. And they're like, oh, you got to be kidding me. What are we going to do without you? And he says, it's to your advantage that I leave. How could it ever be to their advantage that Jesus leaves? But he says, if I don't go, you won't receive the comforter and the Comforter being the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. But Jesus says, it's to your advantage. It's in your best interest. It's for your good that I ascend back to the Father so the Father can send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God. He is the gift of God to his people. And so this passage, they were told by Jesus to wait And so they're waiting in the upper room. And here's what happens at verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Parthians, and Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, <laughs> Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. Ow. Can you imagine that? We were singing about the Holy Spirit filling the atmosphere. Here, as they're sitting in that room together, the Spirit fills the room. Holy Spirit fills the room. But not only does he fill the room, he fills the individuals in the room. So we just don't wanna stop at him filling the room, we want him to fill us. And so something unique begins to happen as they're filled with the Spirit, all of a sudden they begin to speak in other languages. Now, this is unique because no doubt they didn't speak in those languages before. But because God is up to something, he empowers his people with his spirit to do things that they could not do in their own strength. You know, it's kind of foolish to believe that we can carry out the mission of God without the power and presence of God, right? It takes God's power and presence to accomplish his mission. So if he's making us a part of his mission, we need his presence and power. All right, we'll continue in our reading here. Looking at these following verses, we're going to skip a little bit of his sermon, but it says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? The next verse, the next set here. And so, Peter, he begins to explain to them what this means. And he begins to quote a prophet who says, you know what, he says, what's happening here is what was prophesied by this prophet, Joel. And he begins to tell them how Joel said that in the last days that God would pour his spirit out upon all flesh, not a certain ethnic group, but all flesh. And so Peter goes on to explain and begins to preach a sermon and we skip down to verse 36 in that same chapter and as he's preaching, he gets to a point in his message and he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a gift. For the promise is for you to those who. There, he's speaking to at that time. He said, this gift is for you. Then he says, and for your children. Those of your children that are present and those yet to be born. And for all who are far off. He's looking all the way down to 2018 and saying, for us as well. Everyone whom the Lord our God Calls to himself. Oh man, that's good. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. So this is really Peter's kind of coming out sermon here. He's in the upper room. The Holy Spirit, as promised by Jesus, the gift of God, shows up, empowers them to speak, and they're getting everybody's attention because they're like, what is going on? And what the text actually says is like, you know, some people are making fun of it. You know, they're like, yo, these jokers are drunk. That's what's going on. And Peter, he explains, he says, no, no, no. It's a little bit too early for that. Maybe a little later on, he says, but that's not what's happening right now. And he tells them that we are filled with the Spirit. God has poured his Spirit out upon his people. And what's unique, it says that this is the day of, Of Pentecost. It's a feast, it's a celebration. And without getting into too much detail about the feast of Pentecost, I'll kind of give you a little bit of the gist of it. Pentecost is when they celebrated the giving of the Torah or the law to Moses on tablets of stone on Mount Sinai. And when those tablets of stone were given, there was great thundering, you know, there was lightning, you could see atmospheric changing. It was a powerful moment, a memorable moment. And so what's happening now here on this day in Pentecost is comparable to that day. Because although the law was given on tablets of stone, broken human beings could not live up to the expectations of this law. Now, what did this law say? You know some of the laws, or you know the Ten Commandments. But if we boil them down to what Jesus said, the law is to love God with your entire self and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the laws boil down to. And how many of you know that we, in our own strength, can't love God with all of our beings, and we certainly can't love another, each other well in our own strength. We need supernatural help. And we need supernatural help. And so there was a promise given that, God's laws one day would not just be written on stones but they would be written upon our hearts and this day was a fulfillment of that that on Pentecost as the law was given to one man on a mountain here it was given to 120 plus people who were in an up, upper room and it just didn't come in one language but it went out to all sorts of ethnic groups who were present in that time. And Peter begins to preach a powerful message. And the people who hear his message are pricked to the heart. And Peter doesn't say, hey, here's what I want you to do. They say, hey, what do we need to do? I mean, it's so powerful what's happening. They're like, okay, I want in on this. What do I got to do? And he tells them, and 3,000 souls are added to the church. Powerful moment. But there's something that I want to get at, is that on Pentecost Sunday, I believe that we have an opportunity. So and let me say this, um, on the Christian calendar, we celebrate these d- days, and we don't do them to be stuck in tradition. But it's actually a way of formation or remembering what God has done for us. Remembering the story. Now, many anthropologists through their research, they have found out that you can tell what a group of people worship by looking at the calendar they keep. And so I will just point out to you that as time has moved further away from kind of a Christian worldview, we no longer talk about Easter break, we talk about spring break. And what's kind of the spirit of the age around spring break? Party, right? And so you see what people really value by the calendars they keep. Now, I'm not trying to say that we need to be strict about a calendar or we just don't need to look at it in a legalistic fashion. But it's an opportunity to remember what God has done and to celebrate. Feast days are party days where we celebrate and we rejoice what God has done, but also we posture ourselves and we say, oh Lord, may we live into what you have done today. And so it's an opportunity. So here on this Pentecost day, this Pentecost Sunday, may we be open to the Holy Spirit in ways that we may have not previously been open. Let that be the posture of our heart because we cannot be a mosaic without the Spirit of God. Now, I'd like to talk about Peter for a little bit because he's a part of seeing what God has has done. But just because you've been filled once with the Holy Spirit and you're a longtime follower of Jesus, it does not mean that you have arrived. I think sometimes we think because we pray the password prayer, you know, we, we kind of look at salvation as something like this. This is the line and, I'm oh in. I ain't got to do no more. But it's a journey. Scripture says we go from glory to glory. That yes, I am in Christ. I am new. I believe that I am saved but I am also being saved and when he returns, I'll be fully saved. And so we believe that there is this work, while it is a finished work, it is still being completed, so to speak. And so Peter, here's an experience of Peter. He's there, he's witnessing just like you witnessed that this thing crosses language barriers. And so one day, Peter, who was a a devout Jew, In Acts chapter 10, you know, most of that time, most of the gospel was being shared to other Jews. When you talk about the early church, the first Christians, you're talking about Jewish people. You're talking about Jewish Christians. But in Acts chapter 10, you have something different that happens. Now, I'll give you just a little bit. There's this uh, Italian guy by the name of Cornelius. I got any Italians in the house? (laughs) Any Italians in the house? There we go. God loves you. (laughs) We celebrate differences. And so in Acts chapter 10, we hear this story of a man named Cornelius. Now I'll read the first few verses, check this out. It says, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, no, I'm just kidding, Cornelius. (laughs) Staring at at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? The The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is Peter, who is also named Peter, he is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him, and he sent them to go find Peter. Now, listen to what happens to Peter. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof At about noon, lunchtime, so he became hungry and he wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, that's not kosher. That's my interpretation. Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. The voice came a second time, and then it happened a third time, and it says Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he saw, what it meant. Now, while Peter's wrestling with this, It says that the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, they stood at the gate of where Peter was on the roof. They called out asking if Simon, who was named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the spirit told him, the gift of God told him, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Now, check this out. Amazing, right? Cornelius, who is a devout man, uh, other translations say he's a God-fear, meaning that he isn't a full convert to Judaism. In order to be a convert, he would need to be circumcised. But... This thing that God is doing through Jesus doesn't require the physical mark to respond to the gospel. And so God gives this man who is praying, he's not really a convert yet, but he's praying and he's seeking God. He's seeking truth and he's even ordering his family along the lines of what it means to follow this Jewish God. And one day as he's praying, He has a vision. Boy, God is always up to something. See, this is the importance of the Spirit. People are longing for God. People are so hungry for him. And I want to inform you that as Christians, as believers, we do not own or we do not have a lock on the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is provoking people. He's convicting people. He's talking to people. He's trying to get their attention. Many people are seeking him. But who's going to go up and tell them what they need to hear? So Peter, who's this devout Jew, he's wrestling with trying to figure out what this vision means because he thinks it's about food. But what it really is about is Gentiles who were considered unclean and could not be a part of the people of God unless they went through a conversion process of circumcision and other things. But when these men show up, it's almost like Peter begins to sort of now get what God is hinting at. This is about people. This ain't about food. And Peter goes with these men, and Peter is so wrestling with this that when he gets to the man's house, he's given all kind of caveats. He's like, you know, I'm not really supposed to be here. You know, um, as a devout Jew, uh, I can't really come in your crib like this. And he's given, you know, just really trying to let them know that he's holy and they ain't. But as he begins to proclaim the gospel of God, something happens. The exact thing that happened on Pentecost for Peter is what happens to this Italian man in his household. They are filled with the Spirit. And Peter begins to say, who are we to deny these people baptism? So why is this important to being a mosaic? It's because as a people of God, being filled with the Spirit, we must continue to allow the Holy Spirit to transform our deep-seated beliefs. You know? Are deep seated beliefs. Now when you talk about things like prejudice or racism, it makes everybody tense. It, it's a tough subject. But I think if we were to start at an equal basis, so I don't want anybody to raise their hand, but if I were to say, How many of you people in here um, have ever lied before? You know, I think there'd be a good portion of you who would say, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If I would say, How many of you have ever lusted before? A good portion of you would probably be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I have, I have. Now, if I were to say how many of you would have considered yourself to have prejudiced thoughts and attitudes, how honest would you be? It's like when we get to that subject, we, like, automatically go, oh, I know I ain't (laughs) prejudiced. And it's just like, hold on now. The human heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? God says, I know the heart, and I test it, and I try it. The best thing that we can do is just be open for God and say, Lord, I don't really know what's in me till you squeeze me. (laughs) You know? And so it's when God challenges us through the rough interactions that we begin to deal with the things in our heart. You know, as as a boy... In middle school, my parents, many of you have heard this, they decided that we were going to move from the west side of Chicago to the suburbs. And uh, we, we were, at the time, all we knew was getting a new house. We didn't really know where. So we're like, we're going to get a new crib. Yeah, pretty excited. And uh, the Lord tends to speak to my mother through dreams and things like that. And so she had a clear picture of what the house would look like inside. And she saw very specific furniture in the house. And so she was looking for that house. And so her and my dad, they were looking. We went with them sometime, and we would see some nice houses. And my dad was like, hey, you know, my mom's name is Rosie. Hey, Rosie, this one? And she looked, I don't see what I saw in the dream. And, you know, my father was getting a little agitated, like, hey, we got to pick a house. (laughs) So one day, they look at this house. They go to see this house in an all-white suburb. And they're looking at the house and they go down to the basement and there my mother sees the exact furniture that she saw in the dream, And she says, oh, this is the house. And there was a little bit of of, of fighting to get the house because of other things. And um, we finally got the house, we were excited to have a house, but then when we went outside and started to play basketball in the driveway, and people would drive by in cars and they would yell the N word. I wasn't gonna say it. They yell the N word. We would be so upset, run after them, like we were gonna catch them in the car, really, like nah, <laughs> you know? But we would be so upset and angry. And we would go back, my younger brother and I would go back to our mom on different occasions. We like the house, we really do. <laughs> but can we go back? And she would say, no, the Lord showed me this place and the Lord has moved us here for a specific reason. You boys won't be like your father and I. We only grew up around our kind of people. God's doing something different for you and you and your brother need to know how to get along with all types of people. Yeah, you clapping. Now, I, I too, feel like that now, but at the moment, I was like. (laughs) But as I look back, God was doing something. See, it wasn't just the people riding by yelling the N-word who were being impacted, but it was also God was doing something in me. Like, I can't stand here and tell you that I've never said the H-word, if you know what that is. Um, I can't tell you that I've never said racial slurs before, but what God was doing was putting me in a situation where he could shape my heart. And so this is what God did for Peter. He took him a person who had been filled with the spirit. He puts him in a situation so that he can deal with some deep seated things in his heart because God wants to transform our hearts. And we don't know what's all in there. You know, there used to be an old commercial about spaghetti sauce and how meaty it was. And they say it's in there. Well, there's some things. When it comes to our heart, there's some things that are in there. And we don't know till it begins to be stirred by the situations that we're in. And when it is, allow God to deal with it. Amen. So... Next, next story also involves Peter. And this happens to take place in a church called Antioch. Now, the church called Antioch, the church at Antioch, is an off-the-hook church. If you're ever reading through the book of Acts, I mean, first of all, this is the first church that we told that's sort of like, I mean, grace is a version of Antioch. Because Antioch was a diverse church. It was a mosaic. But this church was also started in a unique way because at that time, the early believers were only sharing among the Jews. But in the book of Acts, it says that when persecution had broke out against the early church because of Paul, who was then Saul, that some believers came to Antioch, and these believers we are not told their names. They're not even apostles, the sent ones. But these are just your regular old unordained believers. Oh man, I think believer is a better title than pastor anyway. But enough about that. Because when you're a believer, that means you're living out what God has done. And so anyway, these believers, they start to do something unorthodox. Instead of sharing only with Jews, they begin to share with Gentiles. And the scripture says that the hand of the Lord was with them. The Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, the gift of God was working with them and they saw Gentiles converted into the church. News got back to account of the headquarters in Jerusalem and the apostles said, hey, we need to check this out. We need to send some apostles down there to see what's going on. So Barnabas goes to check it out, is blown away by the mosaic. And at that time, Paul is also converted. He goes from Saul to Paul, and people are a little scared of him and afraid because of his history of persecuting the church. But Barnabas goes to get Paul, and he brings Paul to Antioch. So Paul himself, in his own relationship with God, and his own walk, he is formed by this mosaic at Antioch. He's impacted at what the Spirit of God is doing here. And so in Galatians, he he tells us a story of an encounter by him and Peter. And so in the second chapter in verse uh, 9, it says, no, not verse 9, sorry. In verse 11, Paul begins to talk about a time when Peter, he refers to him as Cephas, when he comes to Antioch. He says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, these two apostles right here. He said, He opposed him to his face because he stood condemned, for he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James, Jerusalem. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his, Now, this is what Paul says, hypocrisy. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? What he's saying here, he says, if you're a believer and now you're acting like an unbeliever, How are you going to provoke unbelievers to live like believers because they're confused? And so this is a very hard thing, and there's no judgment towards Peter in this because I think we can all see ourselves in this passage too. That when the Holy Spirit is at work in us, he not only wants to transform our deep-seated beliefs, but he wants to transform our actions, the way that we live. So what happened? Peter he succumbed to peer pressure. You know, he was hanging out with the folks who were eating chitlins, ham hocks, neck bones, you know, who were eating the uncultured things. And then when the Jews from Jerusalem came, you know, he was like Shalom, you know, he's he's <laughs> Hey, he doesn't want to be seen with them. And, you know, I think back to my middle school days. I had a, a story. I don't know if I shared this with you before, but when I left the west side of Chicago and moved to the suburb Westchester, uh, I was so behind in schooling that I had to go back a grade. And I mean, I felt so out of place, so weird. Um, and I remember... <laughs> Being at the stop of the stairs, I could see we were waiting for the bus, and there were a couple of sixth graders who, who rode the same bus as me, because I went from the seventh grade back to the sixth grade, and um, they were talking about playing basketball. So one guy, he says to me, he says, hey, Gerald, you want to come and play basketball with us? And, you know, I was like, that pulled me out of my pain for a second. And I was kind of like, oh, yeah, because I I can ball. I want to, oh, yeah. You know, in my mind, like, yeah. And then the other kid immediately says, why are you inviting him to play? He's so stupid. He probably can't even play basketball. Oh, man, that shot me down. But Don, who was Polish, turned to the guy and said, shut up. Don't say that about him. He can come and play if he wants to play. And this guy befriended me. Found out he lived six doors down from me. I would hang out at his house. He would hang out at my house. We'd ball together. I mean, we'd eat at each other's house and, I mean, hang out. I mean, his mom, when I go back home, I still see her. She kisses me on the cheek. Uh, My parents love him. I mean, we became really good friends. But there was something that happened in high school because when I was in middle school, you know, I was only one of the chosen few, Uh, (laughs) You know, in that classroom. But I went to high school. The high school was more diverse. And so what happened was, what had happened was, <laughs> my friend Don, he gravitated to those who were like him, and I gravitated toward the other brothers. And you know you could best see this in the lunchroom, right? <laughs> Everybody's sitting with who they're comfortable with. And you know, as I think back in that, there's a little sorrow, a lot of sorrow that hits me because I allowed the culture to dictate how I behaved. I allowed this world to tell me who I should move towards and who I should move away from when things were convenient for me. How many times has that happened to you? You know, when you see fellow Grace members in the supermarket, (laughs) do you do one of these? (laughs) (laughs) parent teacher conferences and I mean we're laughing but true now this is judgment free zone it's true so I mean yes we have responded to what God is doing here and I don't belittle any of us here because we keep showing up to worship this way. And that's awesome. But now we must allow the Holy Spirit to take us a little bit deeper to where I begin to own you as my brother and my sister. And so Paul has the hard conversation with Peter and Peter is like a pillar of the church. He's like chairman of the board when it comes to the apostles and Paul confronts him. He has the hard conversation. And there are some times where we need to have hard conversations with each other. We've got to be that bold in loving one another. And it's not to shame one another, but it's to bring one another to their best self who God has called them to be. And sometimes we need to have those hard conversations Now, the last example, i got to wrap this thing up, bring it on home, (laughs) is in uh, Acts chapter 15. You can just mark of it there. I'll tell you about this. This is the first council of the church. It's known as the Jerusalem Council. But after all of this stuff is happening with Gentiles coming to the Lord, there is a time where these apostles have to figure out, okay, traditionally what we know is that when somebody wanted to follow God, they had to be circumcised. But it seems that these people are getting filled with the Spirit, and they're responding to the Gospel, and they haven't even been cut yet. That's as far as as I'll go on the details. (laughs) And so we've got, and they're debating this thing. There are people saying, no, they need to be circumcised. No, and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. But all of a sudden, a leader's voice emerges, and Peter steps up to battle. And he says, hey, let me share with you what happened when I got a vision and the Lord called me to share the gospel with this Italian family. And he begins to share what he saw God do. And when he begins to give that testimony, they begin to say, you know what? We cannot require them to have circumcision." We cannot require that. Who are we to override what God is doing? And Peter leverages his leadership and he speaks out. Here's a man that's been confronted by the Holy Spirit and now during this important council, he says, you know what, I'm gonna speak speak up on this thing. I think the Holy Spirit wants to transform us so that we lead with our lives that now we use our voice because we've seen what God is doing. And now it's not enough that we just do it here, but outside these walls, we need to be leaders. And we need to say, you know what? I'm willing to have the hard discussions. I'm willing to talk with people about this. Why? Because the world can't lead the way. Only the church can. I'll never forget um, at one time when I lived in Rochester, New York, I was attending an all-African-American church, and while I was in seminary, I really felt called to attend this other church, um, and it was a predominantly white church. And so as I went there, a friend from my old church wanted to come and visit, and she came and visited, um, very good friend, we're still good friends to this day. And after after the service, I mean, she just began to snap about white people. I mean, just she was going off and in that moment I felt something rising up within me and I knew that I couldn't keep silent, that I had a choice at that moment to either speak out or condone what she said, but I believe it was by the grace of God, I told her, I said, look, I said, you know, I consider you family, I said, but these people are my family too. And I said, they love me and my family well. They care for us. We care for them. We can't continue to be friends if you're going to talk about them in that kind of way. And leadership is costly. It's costly. And you really should think about it. Because you may have to speak up to those who are in your social networks that you may feel a little pressure by. You may, you may know that some of the people that you're connected with, they might not do so well in this mosaic. And I'm not judging them for that. The Lord can speak to them where they are. But he just may be using you as the light to show them something different. Some of us suffer from lampshade Christianity. Where we cover the light with the lampshade. And I fear for us as a community that this building could act like a lampshade, that the mosaic only shines bright in here. But I believe that God wants to pull off the lampshade so that the light could shine bright. Because this is us. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the light in the world, and we need to be challenged to let that light shine so that it could illuminate the darkness in Detroit. Harper Woods, Gross Point, all the surrounding areas so they could see, oh, this is what it looks like. On Pentecost Sunday, I'd like to extend the invitation <laughs> for you to open your heart afresh to the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, because he's the only one who can get us beyond ourselves. And I don't know what you've heard about him. You may have heard a lot of stories that, oh, he's weird or he makes you do weird things. Ah! What we know is that he's the gift of God. And Jesus said, it's to your advantage that you have him. And he will enable you to do what you cannot do in your own strength. Jesus said, greater works than the ones that I've done will you do. Why? Because that's the Holy Spirit residing in you. Please stand to your feet. If you're here and you recognize, you know what? I I want a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to invite you down right now to come and to meet me here. If you know that there's even a dryness in your walk or certain things that you need to push through, invite the Holy Spirit in afresh. And, you know, the apostles prayed on different occasions, and they had many fillings of the Holy Spirit. If we can be filled, we can also be emptied. And sometimes we're not aware, you know, if you know anything about driving on a low-gas tank, you know that if you don't pull over, you're going to stop. And I'm afraid some of our tanks may be closer to the E. And this morning, you can receive a freshened filling. And I'd love to pray with you here if you'd come on down. Uh, secondly, there may be other areas that you feel like you're struggling in. Um, maybe you just feel like you're disconnected from God. You need to come. Maybe you don't even connect to the love of God. You don't know the love of God. You need to come. And maybe you may not even be sensing anything is wrong. You just want to come. <laughs> you need to come. Maybe you don't even know why, but you feel a tug. I, I need to be down here. God will meet you. Let's pray. Father, I wanna thank you for those of us who've responded, those of us who need a fresh touch of your spirit. And God, I'm not just giving the invitation, I'm asking for myself. God, you promised that there would, those who believe on you as the scripture said, that out of their innermost being would flow rivers of living water. And we know that you were speaking of the Holy Spirit. So right now we give a fresh invitation and we say, Holy Spirit, you're not only welcome in this place, but you're welcome in my life. Go ahead and say that to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Please take up residence within me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do whatever it is you need to do to make us like Jesus. Pray that you would clean up our attitudes, that you would help us to see things differently, behave differently, so that we could be the light that you're calling us to. And as we leave this place, may we be reflectors of your glory so that hearts may be turned to you and give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this morning. Our prayer team will still be here if you need prayer, individual prayer. They'll still be down here.